Chapter Two of The Boy Chums in the Florida Jungle by Wilmer M. Eli. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter Two The New Venture. For a few minutes there was entire silence while the four devoted their whole attention to the delicious meal Chris had prepared, and during this lull, the reader has time to observe and note more carefully this little band of old friends, whom he has doubtless met amid many adventures in the Boy Chum series. They have changed but little since he met them last, and the young net fisherman. Charlie West, the strapping young fellow, who now sits on one side of the fire, eagerly devouring piping-hot omelette and rich oyster stew, is the same old Charlie of yore, his face a trifle older and more alert, perhaps from the dangers and hardships through which he has passed but with the same old merry twinkle in his eyes walter hazard now grown almost as husky as his chum sits next to him and close beside walt is a gray-haired captain westfield a sort of guardian father to them both a master of the sea but rather helpless on land he too is little changed while chris the little ebony darky wears the same broad, good-natured smile as ever. But we must stop and listen to the conversation now starting up, for upon it depends the future of our four friends. "'Tell us what our next move is to be,' Walter demanded. "'It rests with the rest of you as much as with me,' Charlie smiled. "'All I'm going to do is make the suggestion.' "'Go ahead,' said the captain impatiently. "'We're waiting to hear it.' Well, said Charlie, west of Jupiter, about 40 miles, lays the great Lake Okeechobee. It's reported by explorers that there's a 10-mile belt clear around the lake of the richest land in the world. Between the lake and Jupiter, there is only one little trading post called Indian Town. All the way leads through swamps, prairies, and pine barrens. There is a sort of road, but it is underwater for about six months in the year. All that's interesting, but what has it got to do with us? said Walter impatiently. I'm coming to that in a minute, said Charlie placidly. Last year, the county commissioners passed a law for the building of a dirt road from Jupiter to the lake, and a man named Murphy made a bid of seventeen and a half cents a yard for the dirt handle, and he got the contract. We bought a steam shovel with a one and a half yard bucket. He went to work and has got about 10 miles of the road completed. Now he wants to sell out his machine and contract. Says his wife in Connecticut is sick and he's got to go back and stay with her. I saw him in Jupiter today and he told me he would sell machine, tents, a team of mules, and the contract for one-third of what the machine alone cost him, $3,000. I didn't promise him anything but said we would ride out and look at it in the morning. It looks to me like a good chance to establish ourselves in a good, steady business. There's about 30 miles of the road yet to build, and he says there are plenty more contracts to be had for the asking. The machine can dig one and a half cubic yards of earth per minute, and at 17 and a half cents per yard, that's some money, I'm thinking. Besides, it works nights as well as days. Well, what do you think about it? Walter looked rather disappointed. 
That sounds all right, he admitted, but there doesn't seem much chance of having any fun, adventure, or excitement out of such a job. Adventure, excitement, echoed Charlie. Why, I don't know where you'd be more likely to find both. Remember, we're going through an almost unknown country, right through the Indians' hunting grounds, and through a country alive with snakes and game. Good! exclaimed Walter, with eyes shining. I vote yes for the steam shovel. I don't know about it, said the captain, doubtfully. It ain't a good plan, generally, to go into a business that you don't know anything about. But we will soon learn, protested Charlie, vigorously. If we buy, Murphy has agreed to stay on for a couple of weeks, until we get on to the run of things. Well, consented the old sailor reluctantly. It won't do any harm to look at the critter, though I guess I won't be able to tell as much about her as I would about a seagoing craft. Well, how about you, Chris? Charlie inquired. The little negro grinned. Golly, Master Charlie, I reckon I'm pretty well satisfied as I is. Don't reckon y'all's ever seed a nigger, but was willing to lay around in de sun all day and do nothing but eat and fish. But if y'all's a going into any foolish projectings, I reckon dis nigger will have to go along to keep you out of trouble. Then it's settled, Charlie declared with satisfaction. We will get an early start in the morning and drive out and see just how things are going. Thus settled, an early hour next morning found them on the way, drawn in a rickety wagon behind a lean mule with a wicked-looking eye. There was no danger of their losing their way, for the machine-made road stretched out before them a smooth mound of earth, flanked on each side by deep ditches made by the removed dirt. At places, the road was raised a full four feet above the surrounding land, while at other places it descended gradually to a mere two feet. Charlie viewed it with satisfaction. That's the kind of work I want to do, he said. The kind of work that creates something, that helps people, gives them employment, and makes them happy. Take that road, for instance, he continued dreamily. Of course it is only a road, but it will open up the way to thousands of acres of rich land, and give thousands of people a chance to own a home and farm. Yes, agreed the captain testily who was hot and sweating under the blazing sun, and it will drive away the Indians from their last hunting ground, and the people who will flock in will be Huns, Polacks, and Japs, and most of them will die off with the malaria, and the rest, after they have raised their crops, will find it costs them more to get them to market than they are worth. Say, Chris, can't you spread more sail on that craft of yours? I allow that there ain't much breeze, but surely it can do more than a mile an hour. Chris, who was driving the melancholy beast, obediently leaned forward and brought his tattered hat down on the mule's flank. Get up, you Clarence! Wake up, you mule! he shouted. And Clarence woke up. What had simply been before a saddened, downcast, plodding mule became a marvel of upstanding ears, bared teeth, and flying hoofs. Charlie landed with a bump on the side of the road, Walter close beside him, and the captain not far away, while Chris, disdaining solid ground, lit far over in the ditch of stagnant water and mud. The cart, a battered wreck in front, 
with one they'll gone still remained while clarence still enveloped in his harness and dragging the other thill behind him with leaping bounds was headed back for home captain westfield arose slowly and painfully and felt gently of his trousers seat i reckon chris crowded on a wee bit too much sail he said mildly chris crawled out of the ditch spitting out mud and water golly dat clarence show can move some he exclaimed admiringly as he gazed after the vanishing mule who would have thought dat a little slap of the hat could liven him up so i don't think it was that at all laughed walter as he regained his feet i believe he took offence at being called clarence as any self-respecting mule would probably his real name is maud you fellows can laugh if you see anything funny in it stated charlie reproachfully you wouldn't if you were me you lit on the sand or water but i landed broadside on a slab of rock well there's no use trying to catch clarence he's singing home sweet home with four feet i guess we are as near the camp as we are jupiter so we might as well go ahead so ahead they marched looking more like a trio of hoboes than possible investors in a big enterprise a walk of a few miles brought them in sight of a cluster of white tents and they hastened their steps knowing that their destination was not far ahead they paused at the first tent the largest of the cluster and evidently the eating tent where they could see through the open flap two long tables with rude seating benches running down the middle and a heap of tin dishes on a table in one corner outside a big powerful sweating negro was kneading bread on a dirty-looking bench upon which a protruding stovepipe from the tent was sending down fine flakes of soot mr murphy's done futter up the road a piece by the machine he informed them in reply to their questions be you gentlemen going to stay for dinner they told him that they were not sure as yet and hurried up the road eager to be away from the odors of the camp golly exclaimed chris did you alls notice de bench that nigger was making bread on i'll bet there was a solid inch of dirt on de top of it dat nigger's been scaling fish chopping up meat and making bread on that same bench for the past six months without washing it up once huh if i was his boss i'd give him a lickin for sure a few minutes walk brought them inside of the big steam shovel which was doing the work of two hundred men with wheelbarrows it looked simple enough a kind of short steel car resting upon sections of railroad track upon the car was mounted on a kind of ratchet work of iron a swinging steel platform from which projected out a long tapering steel boom at the end of which dangled from wire ropes a huge steel bucket with wicked-looking big teeth wire ropes an inch and a half thick led down the boom and wound coil upon coil around the big controlling drums on the platform below two gigantic cogwheels controlled the lowering and raising of the huge boom in front just back of the big revolving drums and cogwheels a second little platform arose from the first it was iron-hooded overhead but in front it was open and behind the opening with before him six huge brass levers stood a man controlling the movements of this mighty worker 
Even as the little party watched, the great shovel plunged down, straight down, burying its great teeth in the rooty ground. The drag rope pulled it until it had gathered up a full load of earth. The boom lifted slightly, the platform swung round, and the bucket dropped its load. For five minutes, Charlie watched the operation repeated with his watch in his hand. Murphy hasn't lied about that, he said. They are digging a bucket a minute, all right. Let's figure it out. One and a half yards a minute, that's 26 cents a minute. Multiplying that by 60 minutes in the hour makes $15.60 per hour, and 24 hours in the day makes $374.40 per day. That's going some, I guess. Woo! whistled Walter. That's just like finding money. End of chapter 2